0: You're listening to The Relevant Truth Podcast. My name is Roger Mason. This podcast is dedicated to examining biblical truth. The Bible is overflowing with relevant truth useful in our everyday lives, thus the title Relevant Truth. The Bible was relevant to those that first heard it through the apostles and prophets. It is also timeless truth, which means that it is relevant for us today in the 21st century. It is my hope that through this podcast, you will be both encouraged and challenged as we look at the Bible together. In today's podcast, we want to examine the story of a mother and two sons who approached Jesus with a request. This is recorded in Matthew chapter 20. Incidental to the story, we learn a valuable lesson about the nature of leadership in God's kingdom. Servant leadership is the big idea in today's podcast. Let's look at Matthew chapter 20, starting to read at verse 20 from the New Living Translation. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request? he asked. She replied, In your kingdom will you let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one at your right and the other at your left. But Jesus told them, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of sorrow I am about to drink? Oh yes, they replied, we are able. You will indeed drink from it, he told them, but I have no right to say who will sit on the thrones next to mine. My Father has prepared those places for the ones He has chosen. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. But Jesus called them together and said, You know that in this world kings are tyrants, and officials lorded over people beneath them. But among you it should be quite different. Whosoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whosoever wants to be first must become your slave. For even I, the Son of Man, came here not to be served, but to serve others, and to give my life as a ransom for many. That's Matthew 20, verses 20 to 28 in the New Living Translation. We also find this story in Mark chapter 10, verses 35 to 45. To understand what is going on here, we need to look back at what Jesus told his disciples earlier in Matthew chapter 19, verses 28 to 30. Back in Matthew 19, Jesus had been talking about forsaking all in order to follow him and be his disciples. Jesus was emphasizing the cost of discipleship. They would have to give up everything in order to follow him. Peter says this, We've given up everything to follow you. What will we get out of it? That's Matthew 19 and verse 27. And Jesus replies, I assure you that when I, the Son of Man, sit upon my glorious throne in the kingdom, you who have been my followers will also sit on twelve thrones. Judging the twelve tribes of Israel and everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will have eternal life. But many who seem to be important now will be the least important then and those who are considered least here will be greatest then. That's Matthew 19, verses 28 to 30 in the New Living Translation. Those who sacrifice for the cause of God's kingdom and follow Jesus will be rewarded far above the sacrifices that they have made. This is what Jesus, in essence, was saying to his disciples there. The rewards will outweigh the sacrifices that they have made. But the words of Jesus here created all kinds of misconceptions in the minds of the disciples. The disciples understood this kingdom talk to be literal, earthly, and immediate. The disciples were being promised a special place of leadership in God's kingdom. In their thinking, this was about to happen. The Roman Empire would be overthrown and the kingdom of Israel would be restored to its former glory. Think of the kingdom of Israel during the time of David, or Solomon. This is what the disciples had in mind. They envisioned a restoration of the Davidic and the Solomonic kingdoms. The disciples would be co-leading this great kingdom with Jesus. They seem to have missed the last part of what Jesus said. But many who seem to be important now will be least important then, and those who are considered least here will be the greatest then. That's Matthew 19 and verse 30. Jesus defines importance and greatness in God's kingdom in terms of humility. This is the backdrop of solomon's request for her sons James and John. Mark chapter 10 tells us that it is the two brothers, James and John, who make this request. Perhaps they did it at the direction of their mother, Salome. Or perhaps the three of them approached Jesus together. Matthew chapter 20, our text, it is Salome who makes the request for her sons. Perhaps it was her sons who prompted her to make this request on their behalf the mother of James and John, approached Jesus, requesting a place of favor in God's kingdom. She requests two prominent positions for her two sons, seats of highest honor in Christ's coming kingdom. Let me state the obvious here. There is a clear lack of humiliation in this request. After hearing the request, Jesus tries to explain the kingdom concept of leadership. Jesus explains that leadership in God's kingdom requires sacrifice, suffering, and death. This is why Jesus says in verse 22, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? The cup and the baptism that Jesus refers to here was the cup or baptism of suffering and death. The prayer of Jesus at Gethsemane confirms this idea of the cup representing suffering and death that Jesus was about to receive at his crucifixion. He, that is Jesus, went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That's Matthew 26 and verse 39. Again a second time he went away and prayed saying, O oh, my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. That's Matthew 26 and verse 42. So at Gethsemane, it was clear that the cup that Jesus is praying about is the cup of sacrifice, suffering, and death. Jesus asked the question in verse 22. Do you know what you ask? Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? James and John did not know what they were agreeing to when they replied, we are able. Look at Jesus' response here. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. That's Matthew 20 and verse 23. Jesus knew that these men would share in the cup of sacrifice, suffering, and death that he was about to partake of. James was the first of the apostles to die a martyr's death. This is recorded in Acts 12 verses 1 and 2. Then he, that is Herod, Killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. That's Acts 12 and verse 2. Acts doesn't describe how James died by the sword, but church tradition tells us that James was beheaded by the sword. In his Ecclesiastical History, Eusebius preserves a tradition which was first found in Clement of Alexandria. He says that the officer who was attached to James and commissioned with guarding him was so impressed with the Apostle's witness that before James was martyred, this officer confessed Christ as his Savior and was beheaded with the Apostle James. John, the youngest of the Apostles, lived to an old age, dying at Ephesus sometime after A.D. 98 but he suffered many things for the cause of the gospel before his death. John was banished and exiled to Patmos during the Christian persecutions under Emperor Domitian. Banishment was a common punishment used during the imperial period. Patmos was where John received his revelation recorded in the book of Revelation. According to Tertullian in the Prescription of Heretics, John was banished to Patmos from Rome after being plunged into boiling oil and surviving this ordeal. The prediction of Jesus, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, that's found in Matthew 20 verse 23, was fulfilled in both the life of James and John. James would be martyred, and John would be persecuted and exiled to the Isle of Patmos. Robert Little says this, and I quote, James died a martyr's death, and John lived a martyr's life. Unquote. Jesus went on to say in verse 23, But to sit on my right hand, and on my left is not mine to give but it is for those whom it is prepared for by my Father. Jesus explained that he would not arbitrarily grant places of honor in his kingdom. The Father had determined who would be granted these positions. James and John thought that because they were close to Jesus, that they had a special claim to a place of position in the kingdom of God. But position in the kingdom was not a question of personal favoritism or political patronage. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. That's Matthew 20 and verse 24. The request of James and John and the indignation of the other disciples clearly point out to us the type of immature thinking that the disciples had. They were still thinking in terms of a literal earthly kingdom to lead and to rule. They were seeking for a position of privilege and power in this kingdom. The disciples still thought this way in spite of the clear prediction by Jesus that he had made concerning his arrest, trial, suffering, and death. The other disciples showed the same selfish ambition and self-interest that James and John did. In Matthew 20, verses 25 to 28, Jesus talks about two contrasting types of leadership. Let's examine the two types of leadership that Jesus talked about there. First of all, we have assertive leadership found in verse 25. But Jesus called them together and said, You know that in this world kings are tyrants, and officials lorded over the people beneath them. That's Matthew 20 and verse 25. I've called this assertive leadership. The word assertive conveys the idea of self-confident, self-assured, firm, forceful, pushy, and aggressive. And this is the type of leadership that we are talking about. The worldly concept of leadership which makes it a place of privilege, position, and authority. This is the kind of leadership that we are familiar with in the world that we live in. Big business is dominated with this type of leadership. Our political system is dominated with this type of leadership. And unfortunately, the church world is often subjected to this type of leadership. This was the type of leadership found in the political structures of the Roman Empire, it was also the type of leadership found in the religious structure of first century Judaism. There was a kind of political maneuvering that went on within the religious leadership structure of Judaism. Jesus came to break the leadership stereotype that the disciples were familiar with by modeling a new type of leadership style. Matthew 20 verse 25 You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. The Greek word translated lord it over and exercise authority over both convey the idea of using one's authority over people in a domineering and oppressive way. We would say today that they are throwing their weight around. They flaunt or parade their authority, power, and position over others. The kings who ruled over the Gentiles were commonly thought of great leaders. But in reality, they were cruel dictators, lording it over the people. Let's look at three examples of Roman leadership during the time of Jesus. First we have Herod the Great. Herod the Great ruled Palestine from 37 to 4 B.C., He was a scheming, jealous, and cruel leader who killed one of his wives and three of his sons. Augustus, the Roman Caesar at the time, said of Herod that it was better to be Herod's pig than his son. This was a plain word since the Greek word for pig is hus and the Greek word for son is huos. So he was saying it's better to be Herod's hus than to be his huos or son. It was Herod who had the infants at Bethlehem slaughtered after he learned of the birth of Jesus. Matthew 2 reveals the ruthless and deceitful side of Herod's character in the Nativity story. Herod the Great was looked upon by history as a great leader and a clever politician. Josephus devotes a lot of space in both the Jewish antiquities and in the Jewish wars, talking about Herod the Great because of his great historical importance. Let's move on to a second Roman leader, Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas was one of the sons of Herod the Great. After his father's death, he was named to the throne by Caesar Augustus in 4 B.C., Antipas ruled Galilee and Perga as a client state of the Roman Empire. He divorced his first wife and married Herodias, his brother Philip's former wife. John the Baptist condemned this relationship as unlawful, which led to his arrest, imprisonment, and eventual death. It was Herod Antipas that had John the Baptist beheaded. After this event, the Pharisees told Jesus that Herod Antipas was seeking to kill him. Luke 13, verses 31 and 32. Some Pharisees came saying to him, that is Jesus, Get out and depart from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go tell that fox behold i cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day i shall be perfected Jesus calls Herod a fox a female fox a vixen insinuating that he was both deceitful and crafty yet Jesus goes on to say that he was insignificant because he could not impede god's plan The attitude of Jesus was that he would continue his work according to schedule, and Herod would not stop him. Jesus knew that no power on earth could harm him until his appointed time. Herod's threats would not deter Jesus from his task. Herod Antipas was very much like his father, a crafty and ruthless leader. Let's move on to the third Roman leader, Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate assumed his office in A.D. 26 during the reign of Tiberius Caesar. Pilate's rule can be summarized as a series of provocations against the Jews. One of the few times that Pilate colluded with the Jewish religious leaders was in the arrest, trial, and crucifixion of Jesus. All four gospel accounts speak of Pilate's reluctance to condemn Jesus to death. He is forced to consent to the crucifixion of Jesus when the crowd becomes unruly and the Jewish religious leaders remind him of Jesus' claim to be king, a clear challenge to Roman rule. Pilate had Jesus scourged and crucified knowing that Jesus was an innocent man because it was politically expedient for his own personal interests. This was the type of leader that Pilate was. Filio writes that Herod had a vindictiveness and a furious temper and was naturally inflexible, a blend of self-will and relentlessness. Here we have three examples of Gentile leadership. These Gentile leaders are seen in terms of privilege, position, and authority. A lion was proud of his mastery of the animal kingdom. One day, he decided to make sure all the other animals knew he was the king of the jungle. He was so confident that he bypassed the smaller animals and went straight to the bear. "'Who is the king of the jungle?' the lion asked. The bear replied, "'Why, you are, of course!' The lion gave a mighty roar of approval. Next, he asked the tiger, "'Who is the king of the jungle?' The tiger quickly responded, Everyone knows that you are, Almighty oh, lion. Next on the list was the elephant. The lion faced the elephant and addressed his question, Who is the king of the jungle? The elephant immediately grabbed the lion by his trunk, whirled him around in the air five or six times, slammed him into a tree. Then he pounded him into the ground several times, dunked him under the water in a nearby lake, and finally threw him up on the shore. The lion, beaten and bruised and battered, struggled to his feet. He looked at the elephant through sad and bloody eyes, and said, Look, just because you don't know the answer, it is no reason for you to get mad. The Top 10 Desirable Leadership Skills These are the leadership skills that a business would want for a CEO. Here they are in order of importance. Adaptability to change. Strategic thinking. Integrity. Good communication skills. Being trustworthy and open. Vision. Develops and fosters diverse teams. Delegation. A positive mindset and high self-awareness. A leader can have many of these skills and still be a morally bankrupt dictator. James and John were seeking a position of authority from Jesus. The other disciples were angry with James and John because they had the same selfish ambitions but were not bold enough to ask Jesus for a position of authority. Unfortunately, in the church today, we still have the same lust for position and power. We have many celebrities, but few servants. Dennis Gunderson, in his book, Through the Dust, Breaking the Leadership Stereotype, has some interesting thoughts on leadership. Leadership in today's fallen world is often understood as upward advancement. This view encourages the seductive magnetism of being over others, and this magnetism exerts a compelling force upon the hearts of men. Few leaders can resist being seduced by it, and having once tasted few are willing to relinquish the addictive pull of the status and power which comes through position. My first awareness of the deception of status and partiality occurred when I was 19 years old. I accompanied my father to an annual pastors conference. I felt very comfortable at the first meeting. I knew most of the pastors present. A number of them had stayed in our home over the years. After one of the evening services, we headed for a nearby restaurant, which had become the unofficial place to congregate during the conference. As we sat together in the restaurant, my teenage mind was confronted with a stirring revelation. Pastors who had been friendly when they were guests in our home now seemed barely civil towards my father. It took no genius to quickly recognize that the unfriendly pastors were generally those who pastored churches larger than the one my father pastored. These pastors, I'm sure, unconsciously clustered together in cliques away from the others. The pastors of medium-sized churches also sat together in groups. I looked around the restaurant and could not see any pastors from the denomination's smaller churches. Status is such a blind spot for us of the evangelical church in the Western world. We criticize, and rightly so, the inescapable caste system of India. Yet our own culture wraps its capitulation to status around us in such a subtle way that we deny its reality and its hold on our thinking. Jesus deplored categorizing people according to worldly importance. The Gentiles think of great leadership in terms of mastery or rule over people, but this was not the type of leadership that Jesus came to model. So let's move on to the second type of leadership that Jesus talked about. That is servant leadership, verses 26 to 28. Let's go back to verse 25 and start there. But Jesus called them together and said, You know that in this world kings are tyrants, and officials lorded over the people beneath them. But among you it should be quite different. Whosoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whosoever wants to be first must become your slave. For even I, the Son of Man, came here not to be served, but to serve others, and to give my life as a ransom for many." We start with verse 25 because there is a contrast between two types of leadership. The type of leadership found in verse 25, which we call assertive leadership, and the second type of leadership is found in verses 26 to 28, which we've called servant leadership. This second type of leadership is characterized by humble service offered to others. Servant leadership is much different than assertive leadership the worldly type of leadership that the disciples had been used to seeing. Jesus says that the Gentile leaders lorded over the people beneath them. Jesus said that it shall not be so among you, a contrast to the way that the Gentile kings practiced their leadership. The Christian is to lead in a much different way. Whosoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Verse 27, a leader in the kingdom of God is to be a servant to others. The biblical concept of leadership is servant leadership. In the kingdom of God, a leader's greatness was manifested in the depths of his humiliation. The whole purpose of the incarnation can be summed up in two words, serve and give. In other words, Jesus came from heaven to earth as a man in order to serve and give to others. Jesus is the perfect example of lowly service. He came into the world not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Verse 28, it is amazing to think that the exalted Lord humbled himself to the manger and eventually to the cross. Jesus, as a humble servant, submitted to death on our behalf. His death satisfied all God's righteous demands against our sin. His death was sufficient to put away all the sins of the whole world, but it is effective only to those that accept Him as Lord and Savior. John 10 and verse 11 The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Jesus demonstrated the way that we are to lead others. The second person of the Trinity came into this world as a baby in humble surroundings, not as a king with majesty and glory, but as a humble servant. He came to this world to serve, not to rule. He made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men, And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That's Philippians 2 verses 7 and 8. The goal of a leader in the kingdom of God must be to serve, not to rule. Jesus modeled servant leadership in John 13 when he takes out the towel and a basin of water and begins to wash the feet of his disciples, a job only reserved for the lowliest of servants in the household. Jesus did it. Jesus went to his disciples. I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. That's John 13 and verse 15. This is what he said to the disciples after he washed their feet. Peter learned this lesson here because later in his writings he says this, "'Care for the flock of God entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care.'" but lead them by your good example. That's 1 Peter 5, verses 2 and 3. Peter tells us in his letter to be a servant leader and to lead by example. Jesus tells his disciples that the measure of greatness is not in position, power, or prestige, but in our service to others. But whosoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whosoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. That's Matthew 20, verses 26 and 27. Greatness in the kingdom of God is measured in our servitude. This is the opposite of the world's view of greatness. Servanthood begins in the heart. Jesus is concerned more about the attitude of our heart in his followers than he is in their works. The Gentiles think of greatness in terms of mastery and rule. But in Christ's kingdom, greatness is manifested by humble service to others. Mark tells us that Salome was one of the women who was there at the crucifixion of Jesus. Mark 15 and verse 40. There were also women looking on from afar, among whom was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Less, and of Joseph and Salome. I cannot help but wonder if she recalled her earlier conversation with Jesus, remembering her request, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left, in your kingdom. That's Matthew 20 and verse 21. Remember the response of Jesus? You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? And be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, We are able. That's Matthew 20 and verse 22. I imagine the two disciples and their mother listening intently to the question that Jesus was asking them. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Her two boys responded with her consent we are able. She didn't know at the time, but the cup and the baptism that Jesus was referring to was the cross. Salome was now witnessing the cup and the baptism that Jesus was referring to in their earlier conversation. Jesus was hanging on a cruel cross, bleeding and dying, suspended between heaven and earth, With one on his right and one on his left. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you can expect a cross, a cup, and a baptism, for the servant is not greater than his Lord, and whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Luke 14 and verse 27. If you want to be a leader in God's kingdom, you must be prepared to serve others. And whosoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Join us in two weeks for our next episode of Relevant Truth. Never miss an episode of the podcast by subscribing on iTunes. If you like this podcast, Why not rate and review the podcast on iTunes? There is a website you could visit, relevanttruthpodcast.com, where you can find an archive of all of these messages and also book recommendations. You can contact me at rockrevmason79 at gmail.com. That is R-O-C-K, Rock, R-E-V, Rev, M-A-S-O-N, Mason, 79 at gmail.com or at the Facebook page Relevant Truth Podcast The music used in this podcast was produced by my son, Brent Mason Thanks for listening